ברוכים הבאים למוצרלה, הפודקאסט הראשון בעברית על ניהול מוצר. אני שלי שמורק, והיום אני וגלעד לבנת מארחים ביחד את ניר אייל. ניר אייל הוא הסופר של הוקט, מודל של ארבעה שלבים, שדיברנו עליו יותר בהערכה בפרק שלוש שלנו, למי שלא מכיר, לכו תאזינו. ובעצם היום ניר הגיע ודיבר איתנו קצת על כל מיני שאלות שעלו מתוך המודל, כל מיני התפתחויות והתקדמויות בנוגע לנושא החל מ-2013 שאז שוחרר הספר. הייתה לנו שיחה מאוד מאוד מעניינת, אנחנו מקווים שאיכות הסאונד תהיה מספיק טובה. במידה והיא תהיה קצת פחות טובה מהרגיל, אנחנו מתנצלים, זה long distance. מקווים שתהנו מהפרק, ספרו לנו אחר כך איך היה. היי ניר. היי. היי, זה שלי פה. איך אתם? אנחנו עם גלעד פה כמובן. אנחנו לא רוצים להשתמש את הזמן, אנחנו רק נשמע את זה. אנחנו מאוד 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 Uh, we had an episode on hooked a while back and we thought it was a really good and engaging episode where people really like the subject and uh, of course the the model but we did heard is there that there's an update uh, and we wanted to know if there is something that you consider your model to be the same as it was in 2013 or do you see it as something that is evolving and changing with the industry and Oh, um, so I think by and large, the same uh, four steps of the hook model are exactly the same. Uh, mm-hmm. Nothing has changed. And, and nothing has changed not only in the past four years since I published the book, uh, nothing has changed for the past 200,000 years of our species. I mean, it's <laughs> the same tenets that keep us hooked to Facebook or email or Slack are the same psychological factors that keep us in love with each other and uh, keep us chasing after opportunity and food and sex. I mean, these are core fundamental human needs uh, and, and, and the basic hardwiring of why we do the things we do. So that hasn't changed. Um, I think there's, you know, there's probably some tweaks I'll make in a revised edition of the book, but certainly nothing major. Okay, that's cool. Uh, Nir, do you think that maybe um, those four uh, steps in the, the model might become very hard in terms of, of new features uh, in products to design? I mean, today where everything is so fast and, uh, you know, you, you get the, the content you want or, or the, what the feature uh, offer, you get it very fast. Sometimes uh, the action and the investment the user needs to do can make them churn. I'm not sure if I understood exactly the question is but you, you said you know, does the pace of, of change accelerating make the hook model more important is, it, is that what you're asking yes I'm thinking that in the past like um, year or two years we're seeing very fast um, interactions with the user and sometimes right iterations you mean like, yeah and sometimes um, okay. as you As you develop uh, features into the product, um, you're afraid of obviously churn, like that the user will, will leave in the middle of the, the process. So do you see like different behaviors of users uh, in this model of hooked? Well, the, the, the speed of interaction should help us, not hurt us, right? The fact that products have less latency, uh, just the fact that our 
connections give us the ability to transfer data at faster speeds, that our devices are faster uh, in processing the, the data that we're collecting, that's a, that, should, that should make our job as product designers much easier uh, because you know, one of the biggest reasons that people stop using the product is because it's slow, because it, 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 doesn't, it takes too long for them to get the relief from their discomfort that they came to use the app for in the first place. So speed isn't a, a, a liability, it's an asset. It's a great thing when things move quickly. Um, I think if there's anything, that the problem that we've seen over the past several years is that interfaces are getting smaller and smaller. But that just makes habits more important. So as we went from desktops to laptops to mobile phones to wearable devices and now audible devices, when you think about you know the Amazon Echo or the Apple uh, HomePod or uh, Microsoft Cortana, you know, all of these audible devices where the interface has no screen anymore. Well, what that means is as the interface shrinks, habits become way more important. Think about it. If your app doesn't exist on the home screen, there is no external trigger. You know, maybe notifications, but you know, maybe people are flooded with notifications, so they don't even remember your app exists. And if, if they don't remember to use you, your app might as well not even exist. Yeah. And then take it a step further. What happens when you know we all have Amazon Echo in our homes and we just talk to our computers? Well, if you don't remember what to ask your device for, you don't exist, right? Your, your product doesn't exist. So habits become more important when these interfaces shrink and eventually uh, don't have any kind of screen. And that's I totally agree. And how do you see this model in, in the world of, uh, you talked about HomePod and everything, but how do you see it in the world of virtual reality and uh, augmented reality? I mean, that's the whole, like, the screen actually in my eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think that there are some certainly new opportunities that, that arise from that. I, I think it's a little bit too soon to say what impact augmented reality and virtual reality will have. I think it's too early to procrastinate the uh, I definitely agree. I think that also on augmented reality, it's, it's closer to our primal way of looking at the world than a VUI, a voice uh, interface. And I think it's really interesting how the habits will form the way we treat our interfaces when we can't actually see them in the future. But what I really wanted to ask about the model, what is the, what is the best uh, recent things that you actually encountered Uh, features or apps or what is your recent hook basically yeah sure so let me see so I'm looking at my home screen on my phone uh, here so to see what I'm using most often the one app that I, I really like recently that I think uses the hook model in a really nice way is an exercise app I've, I've been trying to get in shape and go to the gym more and it's it's uh it's hard to do we all do yeah <laughs> <And we all laughs> to create and turn into a habit right so there's so many fitness apps and in fact a few years ago i wrote a, a an article called why your fitness app is making you fat uh, <laughs> i got so frustrated by seeing how many fitness apps do it wrong but I yeah. there's this one app that i think in many ways does a lot right and this app is called fitbod I-T-B-O-D. 
And it uses um, it uses this machine learning to tell you what to do when you go to the gym. So basically, so it's a really nice illustration of the hook model. It solves this problem, the similar problem. It's not necessarily the same thing with you healthy, by the way, as a disclaimer. You still might get fat even with that. But <laughs> your goal. This is not going to solve your problem. But if your mm-hmm. goal is to go to the gym and lift weight, this is this is exactly what they're building a habit around. So the mm-hmm. internal trigger, the need to address is the pain point, is the uncertainty of knowing what to do in the gym. That's the internal trigger. It's this uncomfortable emotional state that I felt and still feel if I didn't have this app. I go to the gym, I'm looking at these weights, what do I do? The action is to open the app, the second step of the hook, open the app. Mm-hmm. The variable reward is the surprise of here's what the app tells you to do. Oh, now, nice. how does the app never tell you what to do? Because of your investment, which is the fourth step of the hook, every time you lift weight, you know, which exercise you do, how much weight, uh, when you did it, how long you exercised for, what muscle group you exercise, all of that is investment, the fourth step of the hook, that informs what exercise you should do the next time you open the app. So now, every time I go to the gym, I don't think. There's no thinking in the gym. There's only doing, and the app tells me exactly what to do. And that is a perfect example of how we can use habits for good, how we can help people live better lives. I don't want to think in the gym. I want to be told what to do. I don't want to use my brain. I want to use my muscles. And <laughs> so this app does it really, really well by just telling me what to do and getting smarter and smarter the more I use it. Now, I can never stop using this app because they've collected so much data about me that if I were to go switch back to pen and paper, it would be very difficult, right? I, 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 I wouldn't have all my data poured over. And of course, yeah. using a personal trainer is much more expensive than this you know, very cheap uh, app. Right, I'm sold. So, so I just want to ask uh, because the app that you uh, described sounds very interesting. What about the the last step of the the model there? Like, what do you feel there that uh, you want to to get the trigger back? Oh, so the external trigger back is that it sets a reminder for me. So you tell you tell the app one of the forms of investment is that the app asks you when do you want to work out, and so the external trigger is a reminder that says, "Hey, here's your exercise for the day." And it tells you that exactly when you plan to work out. So every morning, I have to hit the gym at 8 o'clock. At 8.50, I get an external trigger that says, here's your exercise for the day. Nice. Yeah, basically, the fact that you can take this model almost to every kind of uh, app these days. It's, uh... Yeah, or any, any behavioral activity. I mean, if we really try to think about it, it's a lot more than just technology or apps. It's the way we act uh, on a daily basis and... It's just implemented on the technology we use uh, in order to be a better solution for us. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the line of this, the, the thing we have to consider, so you don't always have to use this stuff. So, you know, if the product is not used frequently, if you don't need to form a habit, look, many businesses don't have to build a habit. If you're selling a product that's bought one time, right? Let's say mm-hmm. you're selling some kind of cybersecurity software. Well, mm-hmm. if that's a one-time sale, and nobody needs to touch it or use it until something breaks and goes wrong, you don't need to form a habit. It's just a one-time sale. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those type of products don't need a habit. And I'm not saying that every product needs to be habit-forming. I'm saying every product that needs to be habit-forming has to have a hook. Now, the problem with not building a habit is that you're, you're competing on features, right? So if somebody comes along and says, hey, my product is better or my product has more features or my product is cheaper, and a habit hasn't been formed, then people switch. 
very easily. Whereas when a product forms a habit, people keep using it, even if the product, and, he, and most people are not going to like when I say this, even if the product is worse. Even I agree. Even if the product is not better. And I agree. The, the same way we keep the relationships the we love. <laughs> Sometimes they're not that good. Just like Google, we're married to Google as a great example. When we Google okay. something, do we stop and ask ourselves, huh, I wonder if there's a better search engine? Maybe Bing is better? No. We wouldn't even know if Bing was better because we just Google it with little or no conscious thought. And that's the epitome of, of the competitive advantage to forming a habit. Definitely. Oh, actually, I'd like to ask if you think that this model needs to be like, uh, I don't know, adapted to the new world? Like, um, do you think that entrepreneurs or product managers should do some kind of ad adoption to new behaviors? Or, or do you think that this model, which is, as you said earlier, is like 2000 years old, uh, do you think it, it will last uh, in this form? You know, I think it used to be the tech community Uh, was an engineering-driven culture. It used to be that there were so many things that technology could do, all the low-hanging fruit, you know, uh, uh, data processing and, and difficult calculation. It was a very tech-centric culture. It, you know, the technology could do so many miraculous things at first, but that's all that mattered, and that's kind of ruled Silicon Valley. And then it became the designers, right, when it became less clear about what technology should do less, and we started figuring out that that good design really matters. And we saw this, these companies that don't win on technology, they win on network effects, right? You could code up Twitter in an afternoon. It's not that hard to code up what Twitter does. What's mm -hmm. amazing about a product like Twitter or Snapchat or uh, Facebook or Instagram is the, so, is, is the network effect that these companies build by making these products so easy to use that people want to engage with them and invite their friends, right? Now we're moving into this next phase where design is really about psychology. And unfortunately, that's not taught enough, I think, these days. Uh, and I think that's changing. But what we're learning is that it's not just enough to have a technology that is good, right, that does the job. It's not just enough to design, you know, uh, beautiful interaction models and make it something that, that uh, the user finds very visually appealing. That's not enough. We also have to make the kind of products and services that are easy enough to use based on the principles of consumer psychology. And this is a very old principle that we've, we've been talking about that makes the product easier to use because the designer understands how to get people to click by understanding what makes them tick. Mm -hmm. You can only do that if you understand psychology. And so that's becoming the essential skill set for you know, the next uh, generation of designers. Okay, yeah. And, and actually, a great example for this is... Uh... You probably know uh, Lemonade, the uh, kind of new insurance company, yeah, yeah. which they have uh, a chief behavior officer, which is Dan Ariely. So uh -huh. this is definitely, definitely a great example for you know companies that that takes the behavior and the psychology like a lot more uh, into focus. Absolutely. So understand the principles of behavioral economics, of consumer psychology. This is a competitive advantage. Lemonade is an amazing example of that. Right? It's a boring product. It's insurance. I mean, how boring yeah. is that? Yeah. <laughs> so you can really do some amazing things when you understand how people really behave, not just by, you know, hypothesizing, not just by guessing what people will do. You know, this is how most companies today operate. Somebody says, hey, what should we do next with our product? 
right? Every company I've ever seen, every startup I've ever talked to, has the same problem of what do we build next? Do we build what the loudest customer says we should build? Do we build what the boss says we should build? Do we build what the investors say we should build? What do we build? Well, I think instead of asking any of those people, what we should ask is what does the psychology say? Right? You should build the features that help people do the things they want to do in their lives, but for whatever reason, because of poor product design, they don't do. So to understand what to build, we have to start with something, and that something needs to be how do people behave. And so that's why it's so important to understand that first. I totally agree, but I do think that in the real world, there are so little uh, Nirayal and Dana Rieli that we can actually combine them in the industry with their knowledge about psychology and customer psychology. And a lot of people that come from the academic background don't know the industry background or vice versa. And it's an interesting involvement and uh, an interesting place that we are at right now in the industry where I see that the, the academy and the product are meeting. They still don't really know what to do and how to do it, but it's starting a really interesting conversation. Right, right. I think it's changing. I think it's changing. There's, uh, there's a lot of people in this field now. I mean, just a few years ago, nobody was in this field, right? Nobody was calling right. out a behavioral designer. And I think that's it's changing, right? So it's just a new skill. So just like, you know, when I first got to Silicon Valley, it was still very much a technology-driven culture, and then suddenly it became a design-driven culture. Uh, I think it's now changing to, to a more behavioral design culture. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was very interesting. I mean, yeah, my pleasure. I learned a lot from you. Thanks. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your book. And hopefully, if we'll have a lot more questions, we will contact you again. Absolutely. And if somebody has a question or something when they're listening and I didn't get to answer it, if they go to my website, I do office hours every week. If you want to find time with me, I do an hour a week with readers and 15 minute increments. and uh, happy to chat with you if you have any questions that we can get to. It's great from you to give your time to us, and uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. Have a great day. My pleasure. Thank you. 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 מעניין ומרגש בשבילכם כמו שהוא היה בשבילנו. כדי לשמוע פרקים נוספים שלנו, או לשמוע את פרק 3 על הוקט, קבו אחרי מוצרי לה בפייסבוק, לכו לסאונד קלאוד, או השתמשו ב-RSS באפליקציית הפודקאסטים שלכם. אם בא לכם לתמוך בעשייה שלנו, אז בפייסבוק, אתם יכולים בסיידבר לתת לנו דירוג של חמישה כוכבים, לכתוב עלינו כמה מילים של ביקורת, וכמובן להגיב, לשתף ולספר לנו מה אתם חושבים. אנחנו ממש אוהבים את הפידבקים שלכם. תודה רבה על ההאזנה, ונתראה בפרק הבא. 